The Aquarius Home Computer System comes with all this and an amazing feature no one else has. A 13-inch color TV for just $99. Welcome to episode 36 on this, what is, early December. This is the Press Play on Tape podcast, your home for vintage computer chat and more. Hey there, Demo. Hey, Aaron. How are you going? Mate, I'm doing well. Coming off a nice long chat this morning with our uh, special guest, but we'll get to that soon. Um, other awesome. than that, just nice getting ready for the end of the year. Mm, just... Well, I'll tell you what, I think we should get ready for a white Christmas well, yeah, this is, it's funny because we had a chat with an American gentleman this morning who was a, a special guest and it's a very much white over that part of the world. Well, mm-hmm. maybe not where he is exactly, but it's still pretty white in America. And yeah, we've had, what, three days this week in Hobart where it snowed at the start of summer? So- something like that. I think that might be the end of it, but you just never know. Oh, mate, I, I still recall my, my first uh, Christmas down here in um, 2010 that we had snow on Boxing Day. Um, and, like, it was <laughs> a good, and it was good, like, that, and that was good falls. Like, it was down to sort of seven, 800 metres on the mountain, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive considering, again, meant to be you know, middle of summer. Absolutely. It's pretty rich. Oh, mate, look, it's just... Although, to be fair, I, I don't mind the cold weather so much because taking um a whole lot of fitness classes and stuff at the moment it's nice because it doesn't get quite as hot and don't feel as miserable when you're trying to stand in you know stand up on a bike in front of a room full of people doing spin and you're you're trying to do things and you're just drowning which growing up in brisbane was a thing and i hate it and i'm sure well, well there's things you can do and don't say don't do cardio because <laughs> i hear that from all of my powerlifting buddies no, no, you could, what they do in the Tour de France, they like unzip and have their, I don't know, chest oh. exposed. Can you do that in your class? I, how about I, I come back to you when I've, no, actually just no, never. Oh, God, no, 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 no. Anyway, I digress. So yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's been a good, but yeah, look, it's a good, good start to summer. I think it's nice to have a little bit of cold, but um. It just means there's lots, plenty of excuses to be indoors and catching up on repairing systems, back gaming backlogs. Mm. Or, although in your case, maybe not so much, but... Yes, yes. We'll get there, though. You'll get there? Yeah, maybe Space Invaders will get done one day, right? Well, the side art is up now, so that's that's a really big... That's a really big achievement. Um, and apart from doing the control panel... Uh, what I'm actually going to do is I'm not going to put an overlay over the original control panel because the original one I've got, the art's pretty poor, but I just can't, I just can't actually bring myself to scrub it all back and then put a new overlay on it. So I'm actually going to get a a repro aluminium panel built up and then put the, the, um, yeah, yeah. So that shouldn't be too hard. I've just got to, like, organise things to get it done. Okay, cool. Just make sure you don't put it on upside down. <laughs> Schwing. Oh, dear. Uh, shots fired. <laughs> anyway, but um, other than that, yeah, so 
what so is that kind of all you've all you've been up to of late or have you been actually getting well, a chance to play anything well actually at the moment um apart from uh playing some games for an upcoming episode of press press play on tape i've actually been putting a lot of effort into the master system which is Ooh. a great console that i actually owned back in the day um before i sold it but got, got one back many years ago and um i've actually put a fair bit of time into bubble bubble so got through all of that um, which is a really really good port uh, apart from a little bit of sprite flickering here and there it's um yeah really really awesome um and I played a bit of transbot the other night and going to be playing a bit of pacmania so that's where a lot of my retro time sync has been going okay yeah fair fair enough but um, didn't you didn't you recently just get yourself your uh, your specky your specky card yes yes i did uh the What's it called? Div DivX Future. Yep. Uh, the future was eight bits. Div MMC Future. Div which... MMC. I got to say, it's a really, really good piece of kit. Really easy to use. Really quick. Um, the case, you know, is really good to sort of shove in because it's a little bit, bit of a tight fit, but it doesn't feel like it's going to break in your hands when you try and put it on there. No. Really happy with it. Yeah, oh, look, I mean, I've had mine for a fair while now, and anyone that was at PAX would have uh, would have no doubt seen it hanging out the back of my Plus 2. Uh, mm. But no, look, Rods, I mean, yeah, obviously it's like the SD2 IEC and some of those other open source-esque solutions, like it's his own implementation of that design. But I, yeah. I swear from all the things I've seen and written up about it, like if you've got a Specky, this is definitely the, the Div MMC to get. Um, I mean, it doesn't play certain... There are certain images that it doesn't play, like you're restricted largely to .tap files. Yes. But honestly, I mean, that's the vast majority of specy stuff anyway, so... Exactly. Uh, Is it just me, or with, with the loading, it, it actually... Everything I loaded up with it was really, really quick. Is that... That's just because that's the way it works with the .tap files. It's not like subject to actual loading times well see now there's a bit to do with the, the mathematics behind it basically that it take no i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, i was getting ready for a you know loading 101 through through the device but no no you've bailed out oh, yeah no I, I i can't even fake that one that's like <laughs> no nah, look but you're right though it does everything is very quick and uh but like i said anyone that's that's on the fence or has hasn't even heard of it like if you've oh, got a specky you owe it yourself to get your hands yep. on one it's really good the one thing though that i've noticed now that i've got it and um and able to put a bit more time into uh using the specky i've noticed that the uh on my gray plus two the actual sound out of the um, the sound port on the back is terrible, absolutely terrible. And I don't mean the bleeps and bloops of most Spectrum games. I mean the uh, what is it, background noise or the distortion yep. or the, the 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 mess in the noise. Uh, it's really really bad. So I've done a little That's... bit of research. So I'm actually getting a device from uh, the Sell My Retro site. Yes, yep. I've grabbed a few things off there in the past. Yeah, yeah. And it's the thing, it, what, what it does is, uh, and I've read a lot of reviews about it, 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 it does like simulated stereo, 
which, you know, I don't really mind whether it's mono or stereo, but what a lot of people have been saying is it cleans up the sound a lot and okay. it also sounds really, really awesome. So I thought, well, got to get me one of these. Yeah, okay. So, well, and get me one of those too while you're Yeah, that's it. right. That's right. Um, although I need to fix the sound on my plus two. Well, you never know. It might actually fix it, depending uh, on what the problem is. I, I'm, I'm going to do your favourite technique, and I'm just going to cap shotgun the whole thing, um, because that's what you meant to do. Uh, but yeah, Test it, the I, caps first. Test them. I'm not that smart. Test the ESR on them. Nah. Um, but mind you, well, the thing was, like this plus two, I could never load tape stuff on when I originally got it. And that turned out that, again rather than just try and take a scientific approach to it, I just pulled out the shotgun and recapped the tape drive and that fixed it. So as mm. far as I'm concerned, I'm just going to be going to be one of those people and um, maybe I should, yeah. But perhaps while I'm at it, I should also get out the retro bright and, you know, try and retro bright the grey away. Like, I'm sure <laughs> there'd be people out there that would say we should make your, your plus twos white. No? No. 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 Oh, dear. Oh dear, oh dear. But um, oh cool. But um, it's turn into a plus three. There you go. Oh, Paint it, it black, and then put a plus three badge on it. Sure. Is that just like putting a Chevy badge on a uh, Holden Commodore? Even better. Yeah. Bully sick, mate. <laughs> oh, sick. Geez. Beyond that, though, I mean, I've by myself, like I've been picking it mod wise. Like I've had my, uh, I finally got my Amiga two thousand up on the workbench. So nice. I've, I picked this up last year and it had battery issues because um, it had been in storage apparently for a very long time and as mm. anyone that's got a big box Amiga would know that the, the barrel batteries in these things are prone to suicide and this thing was no different so um, when I first got it I didn't have a keyboard so it was sort of limited by what I could do with it and it didn't do a lot of anything so it kind of got shelved <laughs> until I could pick up a um, keyboard adapter because I don't know, like at the moment, any big box Amiga, Atari, um, TT, Omega STE keyboards or anything that has an external keyboard, they're just, they're drug money. Like it's ridiculous how much the original ones go for. Are, are the adapters things that you can make yourself or, or are they a little bit more complicated than um, that? I believe there are DIY adapters you can make. Um, I settled for the Lyra 3. Um, for mine so that actually turned up earlier this week so and it's a really nice piece of kit so it came with mm. the for the Amiga 2000 it needs the larger style DIN connector so the Lyra only has a mini DIN plug but I had the adapter come with it and look yeah it's been really good so far I've uh, been able cool. to plug in typing works there's a whole host of stuff it can do around you can reconfigure the keys on the like a standard PS2 keyboard to emulate the Amiga keys and everything so it works pretty well out of the box oh, very um, nice but yeah keen to keen to see how big box amigas work because i've never actually dabbled with one before well i've just got to find one for myself well you never know you never know right <laughs> <laughs> you, well you, you do that's right you, you just never know but um yeah it's been a while but um yeah but on that um i've got i've also been playing an absolute crap ton of um bloodstained ritual of the night on the xbox which is modern oh, right. but given i sort of love my metroidvania games and it's something that you know started back with the sacred armor of anteriad 
um, or Rad Warrior if you're any one of those NTSC people, mm-hmm. um, which I never understood the renaming, but that's a topic for a different day. Um, Absolutely. Because, but yeah, no, it's a um, it's from one of the developers on Symphony of the Night who's worked for Konami for a lot of years. Um, Koji. Oh, nice. Ko- oh, I'm going to butcher your name. Um, Koji. <laughs> I'm sure Iga- he's listening. Igarashi. Well, if you are, I apologize. Um, basically, <laughs> Iga. Everyone just, he's just known as Iga. Um, or Ija, Iga. I, again, feel free to correct me. Um, but basically, yeah, he was, he worked on Symphony of the Night. He's been working with Konami on Castlevania games since the uh, PC Engine days. So nice. it's something that if you have even a remote interest in that style of game, like it's worth picking up. Um, if you've got an Xbox One or even a PC capable of playing stuff, um, go and grab uh, Xbox or P- uh, Windows, the Game Pass, for like even just a, a dollar trial, and it's worth just to play through just for Bloodstain alone. Nice. So it's, uh, but yeah, that was a good 20 plus hours of sort of, you know, 2D platforming and other stuff like that. So, um, but other than that, I've also played a copious amount of Choplifter in the last month. Um, ah yes so anyone that listened to the Arcade Perfect podcast with Daz and Sean um, episode 38 we tackled Choplifter we basically played every single version we could and that included the abysmal VIC-20 port which they thought was a lot better than I thought which let's be fair (laughs) it's garbage Um, through to some surprising ports like on the Japanese uh, the PC-86 not PC-86 PC88. Oh, PC88. Thank you, Damien. Um, yeah, which was surprisingly a very good rendition of the Apple II version. Um, it, it's really nice finding these little gems that you don't just don't expect. Yeah. So, uh, but look, if you if you haven't listened to haven't had actually ever listened to that episode, or you even have a passing interest in Choplifter, you should def- definitely go have a look look and um, see where we came to with it. That. Yeah, it's just it's interesting though that the style Choplifter there's two very distinct versions of the game because it being one of the few along with Load Runner and Pitfall Two that it took the leap from the Apple Two to the arcade, or in Pitfall's case from the Commodore and the Atari, um, but where yeah the Sega arcade game bears the name it has a helicopter and you rescuing people but is just horrifically difficult. Um, whereas like, yeah, the original Apple II version being a much more sedate, calm-ish version of a game, like where there's no scoring, there's no massive time pressure in the shape of fuel. You can just take your time, rescue or squish hostages <laughs> as you see fit. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that the port, even the ports there, like it's, you know, the, the different, the different systems, like, you know, the Commodore 64, SQ'd gravity and some other bits just to try and make it work whereas you know again you've got the vic 20 which was just abysmal in every shape of the form yeah. um but yeah it's again anyway go over listen if you haven't already uh but it was a good good chat and we had a definitely covered off in depth all the different ports uh, yes so yes. yeah i did listen and um you didn't give me a shout out i'm a monster most, right most upset oh well shout out damien Good to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome, uh, Tom. All right, well, we might as well move on to a little, little bit of news. Uh, so in the last in the last month or so, we've had some, a couple of interesting things pop up. Now, two of which being 
you know, it's been a year for bizarre ports and things that should just never belong on a system. Like we've seen the Super Mario Brothers on the C64. Um, and now we've got Super Mario Brothers on the ZX Spectrum. <laughs> um, it, have you have have you had a look at the video? The video of the... Uh, no, the no, I, I haven't had a look. But what seems to be happening now is that people, developers are just sitting, there, sitting themselves a challenge, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Like, let's get a workable, serviceable version of this game on this computer, which really was never intended to, to play things like this. Yeah. So I think that, well, and, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing to see what, what these people are capable of. Oh, look, you're right. Oh, look, that's it. Right? It's it's actually something that comes up a little bit later on when we uh, we talk with uh, Sean about the Aquarius. Like, there's things people are doing now with that system, and he's he's certainly looking to do with it as well that push it far beyond the original sort of spec or the original capabilities. As we're finding out new and interesting ways to actually get, you know, get these performances out of it. But yeah, no, it's um, it's a very interesting version of the game. Obviously, it has the it's a specky. So, you know, there are things that do and don't look exactly right. But look, it, it is actually, for all intents and purposes, a um a very functional and playable version of Super Mario. Um so I'll pop the link to that in the show notes anyway, like with all Good the work. stuff we'll talk about. Um but on that topic, the speaking of systems that just have no business having pretty much everything, a version of Sonic popped up for the Amstrad CPC Plus and GX4000. Uh, mm, interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, it's bizarre because, yeah, so called Sonic GX, it was basically done, uh, it popped up on CPC Wiki back sort of just to tail into November, so not long after our last episode. And again, it looks very similar to the um, the Game Gear, Game Gear and Master System versions, in the sort of the layout, but like it's actually really colorful, it runs fast, it'll be playable by the end of 2020. But for now, like it's the screenshots and everything in the videos look amazing for what is again a system that has no dedicated, no real dedicated hardware sprites, is for mm. the most part just used to get all the bastardized, you know, cheap ports of ZX Specky games. Um, so to see, yeah, the, the GX4000 and the Plus get a bit of love like this is really interesting. Yeah, I do. I do get the feeling that the CPC Plus and the GX four thousand kind of didn't really see many games that really pushed the envelope on them uh, because the the hardware sort of didn't do that well commercially. I guess so that meant that was weren't many games out for it. So it's it's good to see something come out that that actually pushes it a bit. So that's really encouraging. Yeah, look at. Uh... But I mean, it's but again, it's top, which again ties into sort of some of the stuff we talk about with Sean. Like it's the whole, that's a big part of what's really revitalising the interest in these systems. Although, yeah. unfortunately, the downside being is yeah, like the Aquarius, the GX four thousand, uh, and some of these other like obscure systems that maybe weren't super popular. They're just they're getting harder to find. Um, like, you know, you've got the yes. GX, the GX 4000 likes to commit suicide because of its power supply. Um, so that in itself combined with the fact that not actually that many got out into the wild, probably not. Mm. I mean, there's definitely, I think more out there than the, say the C64 GS, but yes. it's, it's one of those systems that it's just, they're hard to find, but at least we can emulate it. Not that that's 
you know, it's not quite the same, but it, yeah, it's 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 not. I mean, if it's the only way you can see something, well, you know, you, you've got no choice, and you, you can't. Well, you, it's not really easy to own absolutely everything. So, so sometimes that that's all you've got. Here, 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 here. Um, and I know certainly being the uh, the struggles of storage and other stuff mean that unless you are, I don't know, say. Mr. Last Gamer or someone else that has, you know, an enormous shed slash warehouse dedicated just for your, your collection and also mm. the, the bank balance that goes with needing that. Um, like, yeah, it's just not feasible. So, and occasionally no. you've got to draw the line somewhere. Well, that line is still in the in the future for me, I think. Oh, well, look, dude, if I, if I could lay hands on a GX4000, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, same here. Um, I I find I'm I'm fascinated with some of the obscure systems like that. They're just, yeah. You know, I'm seeing here looking at like my Sword M5 and um the little yeah. the TRS80 MC10 that I've got as well. Like mm. things like that that are just obscure, you know, things. But there are actually active development scenes for these systems still, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the last, last bit of news I'd actually tacked on here, which was that the fast loaders, so they're a band that do a lot of Amiga and other uh, chiptune covers and things like that, okay. uh, recently had a Kickstarter for their new album called Amiga Rocks. Now, I've missed some of their previous Kickstarters. They, they did for, I believe it was like the, the Last Ninja Musicology and a few things like that, um, which if you've got Apple Music, it is actually on there and it's amazing. Um, cool. But yeah, so Amiga Rocks managed to get through the funding on the all, almost at the eleventh hour. But um, yeah, it's got funded, which is not due to be released until next year, some point. But I'm super stoked to actually have, yeah back this one because it's yeah. You know, if any of their previous efforts or anything to go by, like it should be a very very good album. So what sort of tunes are going to be on it? Um, so the actual playlist they've. Uh, they have actually announced so you can pre-order this through um c64audio.com so they've actually got the pre-order up already um which is the site run by good friend of the show chris abbott who's been on the past to talk talk up all these sort of things but the moment they're looking some of the lists include cannon fodder castle master chuck rock dogs of war a couple of tracks from ghouls and ghosts golden axe mix hero quest lead storm actually is it lead storm or led storm I, I I don't know. Let's let's have a let's have that argument some other day. Um, shadow a bunch of Shadow of the Beast tracks, a bunch of no, Turrican no, two tracks because you know you've definitely got to do that. Um, Unreal X out and a whole bunch more. So yeah, they're talking at least thirty, no less than thirty tracks. Wow, in the end. sounds uh, very good. Um, now tell me, do they have a keytar in the band? I don't know. Um, if Maybe it, was... it could be a stretch goal if they don't have one already. Maybe. I think everyone needs a guitar. Yes. <laughs> if only I had the talent. Oh, I'd be tell, there tell me about it. Guitaring about. Tell me about it. So, uh, but yeah, but um, look, I'll, again, I'll, I'll whack the link to the, um, the pre-order page for that in the show notes if anyone's interested because, you know, again, the, I don't generally do Kickstarter. However, I yeah, had a listen through to some of it and it was just very much a case of that, um, yes, I, I want to be a part of this. And 
I know they've got some of the perks. They've got the um, recording of Back in Time Live 2019 as one of the other the special perks for backers, which is due to be released to people soon. And I'm very, very excited to that because I believe um, Rob Hubbard, amongst others, was actually playing at it. So it'd be very, very cool to listen to. Sounds awesome. I know. Oh, yeah, it does sound awesome because Rob Hubbard is awesome. <laughs> See what I did there. Ah, so that's that's it for the news. So um, our main topic. So this week, well, this episode, we're we're covering off the Mattel Aquarius. Now, Damien, I think you introduced me to this system that I'd never even heard of until we had a tip shop raid a few years ago and found some of these bizarre yes. cartridges. Yes. Um, but yeah, basically, those who don't know that it's mattel's entry into the home computer world so released back in 1983 it's a z80 based system that had a one of those delightful rubber keyboards like the zx becky um but is also yeah infamously um one of the shortest lived home computers ever made so um so yeah we have a bit of an expert on the system join us this week so his name is sean harrington he's basically recently designed a composite video mod which he was so gracious to actually send the team over a couple for us to have a play with and build um and i know anyone that's been following the page or either on twitter or facebook has seen my uh, my build log of it not too long ago and i think damien you're in the process of getting some of the parts to build it yourself aren't you yes that's right i've just got to get some of the more uh, harder to get parts from there so i just need to uh, do an order from somewhere. So I look forward to seeing it go. But look, I yeah, found it was a, a very good little build and it's something that um, enhances the system quite well. And if you're looking for more episodes, check us out on the Apple Podcast app through Podbean or at our website, ppot.audio. You can also find us on Twitter at ppot underscore podcast or at the Pless Play on Tape podcast page on Facebook. Uh, if you're checking us out on Apple Podcast, be sure to leave us a review. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you all next time. We'll catch you later. Uh, well, so I was... Uh, uh, when we when my wife and I finally started traveling again after we became empty nesters, we went up to uh, to visit my friends up in Seattle, and then we actually drove up into Vancouver, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was at this, there's obviously a lot of native uh, North Pacific Northwestern art up there, totems and such. And I found a couple of books in a shop on, uh, I can't remember what the island is, uh, Grandview, Granville Island, I think it is, up in, uh, in British Columbia. And there's three or four books on it. So I bought a couple and started sketching around. And I thought, would it be interesting if I stylized the iconic look of the millennium falcon in the style of the you know the northwest uh some of the northwest indians and that's where it came from i i came up with it made a stamp and uh sold a couple of those and then just started putting it on the envelopes yeah because i remember the uh when your the aquarius adapters rocked up and i was just like looked at it went hey that's a pretty neat look wait that hang on what and yeah, so it was uh, quite fascinating to find out. Like, yeah, it was very deliberately the Falcon, and it was—I mean, it's unmistakable. You can't sort of not not realize right. what, what it is. 
Yeah, so I think I called it officially the uh, the the Flying Lodge of the Thousand Year Old Falcon or Peregrine or something like that. <gasps> something to make a really long winded, you know, translation of what the Millennium Falcon would have been. So, oh, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I um, wish I was that creative uh, because, yeah, it's very cool. So, you I assume that means you're a bit of a Star Wars fan? Oh, I love Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, it hit me. I was 10 when it came out in 1977. So I was at the perfect age, you know, to kind of get wrapped up in Mr. Lucas's web. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. not quite. By the time it hit here in Australia, I remember the stories of my my mum telling me of like she was six or seven months pregnant with me when she saw A New Hope. Sorry, Star Wars back then because you know <laughs> none of this numbering nonsense yet um but no. yeah when she went and saw me when not when she was pregnant with me and it's sort of yeah pretty much the same thing it just stuck and being sort of a you know younger younger boy growing up sort of through the empire and return era like it was just yeah forever ingrained in the the psych i suppose yeah exactly and and for me it was yeah it was um it was tough because it wasn't quite as cool back then to be you know kind of a Star Wars nerd, Star Wars fan. Um, a lot of my friends were Star Trek, and of course there's that rivalry, but it didn't really become cool until most of us who were of that age got to be, you know, in our teens and 20s. And for me, that was still probably about 10 years before the prequels came out. Yeah. And the prequels hit perfectly for my son. My son is about 22 years old, so he was he was a kid right when those came out. So they were definitely for his generation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's funny you mention that because that's that's sort of I remember it it fell off. I mean, it was still a thing. Like Star Wars never stopped being a thing throughout the eighties, but it wasn't really until the uh, Timothy Zahn novels came out that sort of really kickstarted the whole. Hey, Star Wars is back. Here is stories of you know what could be sequels to Return of the Jedi, um, right? And then the toy, yeah, you know, the toy line started to come out again, and the rest is pretty much it's been a roller coaster ever since yeah i think it was that it was a combination of the zon novels and the uh the scrambling for people like micro micro machines or galoob i think is the company that it was starting to produce a lot of those second wave toys for the kids who had always watched it on vhs that's the one and then uh, and then you know then i think lucasfilm said oh maybe maybe we can bring this thing back up. And that's, I remember reading on Ain't It Cool News back in the late nineties um, and all the fervor surrounding, you know, the, certainly the special editions coming out. But then of course, when Lucas announced that he was going to do prequels, uh, there was a lot of excitement. So yeah. Oh geez. AICN. That's a name I've not heard in a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, wonder if they're still actually, no, he, I think he was ever relevant. I, I remember that site used to annoy me so much. It was just poorly <laughs> formatted. It was, I think, what would probably end up becoming, you know, very the very Reddit style of just it's brain people being given free reign to brain dump and very minimal fact checking and other stuff. And yeah, exactly. And he, I mean, he he got me a couple times. He, you know, he got me really amped up on a couple of movies that he was, you know, thought was I can't remember. I think one was like Killer Samurai or something like that. And I, I was, I was. I'd already started living out here by then. And, you know, I, I went to see it and it was like the worst thing I'd ever seen. Um, but I, when, 
when I was when I first started getting into uh, science fiction cons and stuff like that, I remember I picked up uh, there's a, a little uh, science fiction convention in Kansas City where I grew up called FoolCon, which eventually it it kind of rolled into the big the bigger Comic Con uh, franchise. But um, I remember going to that convention and actually meeting. Uh, Harry's father when he came through because they would you know bring their comic book collections and that's kind of how they made their money for a while and uh, I don't don't remember Harry himself he's probably five you know five or six years younger than me but um, yeah that's where I bought my first bootleg script of Return of the Jedi about three months before it came out and it had the original Lando dies ending in it and uh, I paid way too much money for that so, and it was it was clearly a photocopy. They went to you know some sort of a photocopy yep. place and just ran off hundreds of them. But uh, do you still have it? Oh yeah, it's um, it's in a it's in a blue binder. I think since then I figured out that it was not really authentic. Somebody had it had either retyped it, um, and the Lucasfilm stamp wasn't the right Lucasfilm stamp. And um, it, it, if you know anything about the movie industry, there's different colors of revisions of scripts. And the color, evidently the color of the script for the shooting that would have had the pages that I had would have been on red paper, so they wouldn't have photocopied anyway. I could probably sit and talk Star Wars for a very extended period of time. Yeah, so, but as as I said, today I thought we'd, thought we'd have you on to come and chat a bit more about a rather obscure, well, not maybe obscure is the right, right word, but computer system from the early 80s. So the Mattel Aquarius, it's an interesting one. It is, it's a, it's a weird... It's a weird computer, and I think uh, it was either you or maybe TJ Ferreira who posted the question on the uh, the Mattel Aquarius computer forum this past week. You know what what draws you to it, and I think it was my first computer. You know, I was uh, I was the son of a single mother. Uh, my sister and I and my mom uh, we couldn't afford a computer. Just it just didn't happen. It was um, late seventies, early eighties. So I would beg, borrow, and steal anytime I could to get on some sort of a computer. Um, and then when I started, you know, when I started working, I worked for a movie theater and started making some money. And it was in a mall. And a toy chain up here called KB Toys in the States had the Aquarius on closeout just after Christmas of 1983. I remember seeing it. It was like 79 bucks or 89 bucks. And I'm um, like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend, you know, some of my Christmas money on this. And so it was the first computer that I had. And don't get me wrong, it was it's a terrible computer. Um, I've heard a lot of people heard a lot of people say that it's like, you know, it's it's five years too late because it's got about the same specs as um, I think even the the, the ZX Sinclair is, has better specs than uh, than the Aquarius does. But, but they're does. similar. Yeah, it's got you know, it's got a, a Z80 chip in it um it's it's limited in terms of the graphics it uses only a character set rom so there's really no way to uh to expand the there's no real bit bitmap mode no um but but it was my first computer and it's got a good design to it um i think was it you that said that or some, somebody yeah. mentioned that that's one thing that mattel did bring to the table you know they they have a great design team they they had kind of perfected the art of making ABS plastic look really good, you know, whether it was uh, in, in Barbie format or, you know, one of their other franchises. But mm-hmm. so I picked yeah. it up. Yeah. And I taught myself to program finally. Okay. So. Oh, on that keyboard. So 
I mean, <laughs> so yeah, it's probably worth mentioning. So for those that have never seen the Mattel or the, the Radafin Aquarius, depending on which generation you, you saw it in. So it is basically, like you said, it's a Z80-based computer released by Mattel in 1983, if memory serves correct. Yeah, it's about uh, right. Yeah, so it sports a whopping four kilobytes of RAM, which when you compare it to, so like it was you know on par with the VIC-20 um, and some other similar systems of the era, but it lacked a dedicated graphics mode. Uh, so right. like I said, like it only does character. So the character set is built, actually built into the ROM, which I believe, again, from what I understand, was Mattel requested them to uh, Radafin to actually build into the system so you could actually yeah. do games. Um, yeah, keep it as cheap as possible, really, yeah. That's it, which I believe also that the uh, there was also the reason one of the Mattel engineers, I remember reading a quote saying that it was a, a system designed for the eighty of the seventies. Yeah, that's it. That's it perfectly. So, um, but yeah, it's it's certainly unique, and it has that not, I suppose, almost toy look to it, as far as the the look and feel from the rubber keys that are very you know, again similar to the ZX, the original ZX Becky. So the the yeah. black, little black box, right? It, and it extends the design as aesthetic that, that Mattel had for a lot of its stuff. It looks and feels a lot like kind of a bigger version of their Mattel Electronics football or, you know, any of those handheld games that they had, um, 79 or so. Um, so it, it looks nice and clean, but yeah, that, that keyboard is just terrible. It's a terrible keyboard. Um, I, I know that, uh, the, um, one of, one of my projects is the, is to make, some sort of a mechanical keyboard replacement for it. I've been been working on it. The pin header on the Aquarius is pretty easy to tap into. It's not a particularly difficult one. Uh, but the the never released second edition of it, the Aquarius 2, actually had a mechanical keyboard. And those are, we, you know, we were talking about how difficult it is to find the certain components like the uh, yep. the keyboard adapter for the for the Amiga. And the the Aquarius 2 is even worse. I think the last one that I saw uh, sold for almost three thousand dollars about about three months ago. Wait, what? so yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and it's it's not that it's not that much uh, different than the Aquarius one, the one that most of us know, except it's got the built-in memory and it's got a the extended version of Basic in it. Yep. Oh wow, that's that is crazy. Uh, I yeah. don't even like I can't even imagine. I know, like you talk about like the Commodore. Uh, 60c65 which you know right pops up but i mean that was a you know that was a system that was only ever in prototype it was never a never an actual release system whereas the, the aquarius 2 was like there were minor amounts slipped out but just not yeah not huge and mostly in europe and uh, particularly northern europe you find a lot of them in scandinavian countries like this one that just came up i think came from either Finland or Norway or something like that. So it seems like uh, that's where Radafin was trying to uh, to put those systems Push out. Them into. Back so like with the so back to the Aquarius. Like you've back in the day. I mean, you, that was so you're saying that it was your your first computer. Like, do you have any memories like the, some of the games that came out for it that at the time? Well, yeah. I mean the 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 four cartridges that shipped with the uh, the bundle pack. What I think it was. I don't know. Asterisk Match, which I, I was playing a bit of this afternoon. Um, Utopia, which is interesting because it's it's kind of uh, one of the first real time strategy games that were out there, and we, you, mm -hmm. you had to have games like that 
um, unless you were playing Civilization on, you know, the Apple II, which you know a lot of people did, but you didn't really have a real-time strategy game like that until you know maybe almost five years later with SimCity or something like that. Um, so I enjoyed Utopia quite a bit. Um, I also enjoyed it on the in television because it was slightly better. But um, I, I really, I really had. So when I started uh, programming. Mm-hmm. I didn't have access to the computer, as I said, so I would check out the basic books from the library and literally type them on a typewriter, type out the code. And uh, it's, it's kind of the generic basics, so you had to tweak it for the system that you're on. Um, but once I got a hold of it, I, w- I typed in every single one of those. And uh, then I found out, oh, there's no place to really save this. So I got an old you know, Radio Shack uh, tape player and hacked yep. together a cable and made my own data set. For that and stored stored a lot of those and I think I, I came across those uh, one of those tapes um, a couple years back I'm like oh, I'll never touch this and then, of course I started picking up the Aquarius uh, some old systems about about three months ago and started hacking them so okay all right cool so do you have you actually had a, a crack at trying to dump dump anything off those tapes yet no um I, I don't even know that the the tapes themselves would work but i did find the uh the book so what i may do is scan those in as pdf and then see if i can use the text recognition and then uh the the virtual aquarius has that quick type function where you can like code in one environment and then it brings it in as a text stream uh so you could you could uh do very quick basic entry that way well, that's good yeah that's a very that's a very good feature not all of the emulators have that so right it's a little old school. It's like you know, like I said, just typing it really fast. But it's a good way to, to test it out. But but also typing in games was a, a way. A lot of us early programmers learnt how to program. So myself, uh, my first machine was the well, first my machine was uh, Texas Instruments. Then it was a Spectre Video, and I used right. to get listings for other computers and convert them across. Um, and that's how I learned how to pretty much how to program to start with. So I can, yeah, that's the same way I did too. Yeah. So I concur with what, what you did with the, uh, with the Aquarius. So what was the basic like compared to other systems? Pretty miserable. Um, the, the, the one that was built into it didn't have really any graphics functions to speak of. There's an extended version of the basic that had uh, what they call Bloxels, which was, it was either four or six blocky pixels per character area. And, uh, you know, they added a line function, they added four or five math functions like, you know, sine, cosine, those sorts of things. So you could actually generate lines programmatically um, and then circles and arcs. Uh, but for the most part, it was, it was pretty much poking characters here and there. You know, there wasn't a lot of real programming. So with the ROM cartridges, could they ha- have their own character set? Um, they kind of... They could not because the character set was uh, it was soldered in and it was not writable at all. But they could use those funky blocksels, um, and that's what you know. That's what the guys from the Blue Sky Rangers who did a lot of the development for the Intellivision. Um, I guess they drew the the short end of the stick, and they were made to uh, go over and, and port you know a handful of titles from the Intellivision code that they had to this <laughs> this Aquarius code. Um, and I, I think I remember when I first found the Blue Sky Rangers website, and they were talking about that. Um, they were, you know, they were all bemoaning the fact that um, they had to they had to spend time on this system that clearly had no future, uh, because even 
even as early as July, I think the system came out in June by all accounts. Um, even by July, most of the people in the development department knew it just wasn't going to make it. Yeah. And they, they probably used some of the techniques that were used for like computers like the TRS-80, the original TRS-80, where it had a set mm -hmm. of blocks all uh, pixel definitions in the ROM. And right. You just had to make everything from that. Um, but you had color, I suppose, is the one difference. Exactly. Yeah, within the character, you know, byte itself. Yes. So yes, it had, the color had to stay local. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the main areas of improvement uh, that, that a lot of people are looking at, uh, looking at putting some sort of a, um, a jumper ROM that can mimic the character ROM itself, but then you can access it via the back end and have some sort of a, you know, like a Arduino or some sort of a, a FPGA chip that can manage that and expose it through that port as though it's the real character map. But then from the back end, you can use the system bus and, and some of the higher end memory that's not touched to program that and kind of work your way around it. Mm. That, could, that could be yeah, a very interesting project. <laughs> get Doom. So get Doom running on the Aquarius is what you're saying? Uh, probably not. Not not this uh, not with this uh, Z80 that's running in it. But uh, I don't know. I've seen strange. I mean, I've seen some some interesting demos come out of machines that I never thought could do, you know, what they did. So. Well, I mean, well, Vic, Vic Twenty Doom, I think was was Doom, Doom, on the, yeah, Doom on the Vic Twenty. I know that people. Have yeah, done, uh, it was it was ridiculously low resolution. Yeah, but it but it works. But um, yeah, yeah, which is actually speaking, and we can speaking of the Vic, like it's certainly the I think the Aquarius, as you mentioned, the fact that it was I don't know if it's an official world record, but it was the four month it was on sale for four months in the states before Mattel paid Radofin to take back the license. They did, and and uh, there was also a lot of one of the one of Mattel's biggest problems was getting it through FCC. They just couldn't get the thing cleared. Uh, they had to put additional RF shielding in it, um, and it just it was it was a nightmare from from the minute that they got started on it. Yeah, because I think the the history again. I mean, I've, from what I understand of it, like it ties into the Intellivision pretty heavily because they were trying to sort of go down the computer route and the right. the keyboard add-on from what i understand was something that they just could never get right and it kept failing or they kept not delivering and right and so so the way that i heard it was is that uh in television was trying to gain an advantage they were trying to uh, they'd already kind of started developing uh by the time the uh the 2600 came out obviously atari blew the market away with uh with that with the um, VCS system. Uh, Mattel knew that they were going to be doing this, so they put a lot of, particularly at CES, uh, they were showing a lot of how this new system uh, was better. You know, they had the George Plimpton ads trying to suggest that more intelligent people would choose, you know, this intelligent television system. Um, but the problem is, is that the marketing department got a little ahead of themselves and they were actually showing a computer expansion system um, when the system went into widespread release uh, in 1980, I believe it was, um, and that evidently was a was a selling point for a lot of people. And then, you know, two years later, when that that device never materialized, uh, the FTC got a little pissed. They're like, "Hey, you guys said you're going to have this computer system that attaches to it, but we still don't see anything." So uh, they began to scramble. 
they were already planning on retooling the original Intellivision into a smaller form factor, the Intellivision 2, so they could reduce the chips. Um, that also gave them the opportunity to, um, to leverage the video pass-through port, um, which whoever the engineer was on that who, who included that was, was brilliant because what you could do is, is you can basically have a completely almost standalone system plug into the cartridge port on the Intellivision and it just happens to be mechanically attached and it's sending its composite video through, but that system can basically run on its own. So that's the way they, they kind of did some smoke and mirror stuff with that. That's the way they uh, implemented their Atari 2600 add-on that came in with, uh, I think it was late 82 or 83. And um, somebody said, hey, well, what if we did this? What if we released a standalone computer that, that would do that? And the FTC said, nope. It has to has to fit in. And it wasn't until 84, I think, that Mattel finally released this ECS system that had a uh, proper keyboard in addition to a music keyboard that would plug in. And it was the same color as the Intellivision 2. And uh, I guess that finally abated the FTC from from breathing down their necks. Although at that time they had bigger problems because the video game industry was crashing badly. Oh yeah. The, uh, yeah, that was sunk a lot, lot of cash into that, that they weren't really, really planning. I heard that it was pretty much a, um, um, a group of private ind- individuals doing a class action that got the FTC going back in the days when we had truth in advertising. <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. Oh dear. You mean, is this before, before or after the blast processing era of, uh, <laughs> Uh, that was well, maybe. That, maybe those laws were gone by then. I can remember the the death knell for the laws in Australia was when uh, I think it was Toyota put a car on the um, the uh, SeaWorld uh, roller coaster, and they had oh to do it. They, they had to actually prove that they did it, and then they, they I... after that the laws were relaxed. Basically, I. I don't remember that ad. Remember now I'm going to be looking it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the roller coaster. I mean, I remember the roller coaster. So the uh, the corkscrew like roller coaster ad wasn't real, um, and it was and basically they then argued they would look, you know, this computer generation stuff. It's only illustrating a concept, not an actual feature. Yep. And the laws were changed. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'll tell you when that happened in America. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is probably grad- the gradual change over the years, but I mean, the computer industry was full of it from back then. I mean, the, you just have to look at the sheer amount of peripherals and other add-ons that were promised for systems that just never materialized. Yeah, well, I mean, the key is, you know, when you when you use uh, William Shatner as your main spokesperson, you know there's got to be something wonky going on. Wait, what? So Shatner, is that for the Aquarius? No, 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 for, for the... For the uh, for the uh, for the Commodore sixty four, he was a spokesperson in the oh, states for yeah. the uh, for the Commodore. Yeah, oh, of course, of course. Gee, no, that's all right. I was just thinking, hang on, what? But yeah, but then again, you had, <laughs> no. you had Chevy Chevy Chase doing um, the Atari eight bit stuff. Sure. Yeah, I remember you had um, Bill Crosby doing the TI ninety nine ads. Yeah, and Roger Moore, um, the the um, Spectre video. Oh yeah, and then of course George Plimpton for the Intellivision. So. Ah, oh, yes, that's a, uh, it was a wild, wild time. Yeah, uh, I know. But yeah, the Aquarius definitely had the the misfortune of it coming out like squished right between the Vic the Vic twenty and the Commodore sixty four. So it was sort of 
even if it had got a bit of a foothold, it was never going to go much beyond 84 as it was because the 64 sort of hit, and I think that was really when stuff got, yeah, went a bit crazy. Yeah, I think that was the death knell for me. I mean, I had mine up until, so I graduated high school um, in spring of 1985. And I, I mean, I, I saw the writing on the wall. I, you know, I'd go into uh, software, et cetera, or uh, any other, other little computer shops, and there were dozens, dozens of titles for the Commodore 64 um, and for the Apple II as well. But there's no way that I was going to be dropping $2,000 on an Apple II. So for my graduation, I, I asked for the Commodore 64, and I kind of forgot about the Aquarius pretty quickly after that. Um, I, I think I donated mine to some some charity along with my uh, Mattel Electronics football game. And uh, the uh, I think they, there was a uh, Parker Brothers had a, a little handheld device called a Merlin, which was a toy game. You could play tic-tac-toe and such on it. But I donated all of that probably 86, 87. So little bit of guilt you know i have a little bit of guilt looking back at that so it was the, the the first computer and then just casting it aside the moment something better came along exactly and and to be fair i did the exact same thing in 87 when uh when the macintosh se came out finally you know i'd, I'd wanted a mac i'd run geos on the commodore 64 mm -hmm. for a long time and i really liked that operating system but there's you know there's just no way i'm gonna afford you know, a $3,000 computer or more at the time. No. But the SE um, was just exactly at the right price point for me. Um, so I picked that up in 87 and pretty much got rid of, of everything prior to that. The 64, the two 1541s that I had, I also had, uh, can't, remember, can't remember what the high-end uh, drive was that did high-density drives. But um, uh, The 15, 1571. Yeah, yeah, that did the high did you in, in Australia you guys had more tapes, right? You had no. less of the floppies. No, we were floppies. The UK was yeah. mostly tapes. Um, yeah, I know that's that's the thing that blows me away. I couldn't find a tape drive in the States anywhere. There was no software on, on cassettes anywhere here. Oh wow. Yeah, no, the you know, uh, we're a very big um CPM area down here in Australia, so systems pretty much had to come with disk drives for people right. who interested in them. So so harken back to Spectre Video. So Spectre Video, the original Spectre Video is launched with a um, five and a quarter inch disc system and ran CPM very well. So that's why that went very well. You had your... That's a great operating system. Yeah, which is the Australian built system. Um, had uh, multiple drive options. You had the System 80, which was the Dick Smith Australianized version of the TRS-80. Same, but not the same. Also had disk drives. So there were a lot of disk drives around. Um, and the UK systems, when they were imported, didn't have disk drives. Um, and so it was a bit of a mishmash. So there was tape software, but even, uh, even when we got up to MSX, that was either cartridge or disk software. There, was, there wasn't a lot of actual tape software that hit the shelves. Um, um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a... Australia was a bit of a mix of both cultures. And in terms of video, though, you, um, the Commodore 64 and those uh, devices would run on uh, PAL. You guys run on PAL, is that right? Correct. Yes. Yep. The only way to play yep. the 64. Of course. Well, and that's the thing, because I work with Parafractic on his, uh, his VIC-2 video switcher card. And um, it's an interesting project. It took us over a year to do it because we had to figure out how to get both the crystals and the VIC-2 chips, the, the PAL version and the NTSC version switched 
um, without frying them by having them both on the same time. And the VIC-2 has some strange hybrid technology on it. It's got a lot of digital technology, but there's three or four pins on it that are analog. And analog signal doesn't travel very, very far um, without boosting it. So we tried to uh, we tried to make it so that you could fit it into the 64C style case, but the keyboard is so close, we just couldn't we couldn't get it to work. So if we ever do a, a revised version of it, we're probably going to do slightly smaller uh, latching relays to make them to make them work, and then use a flat heat sink. I think we can do it, but um, it's. It was a little bit. It was it was fairly challenging. It was a. Uh, there were probably twenty versions of that board before we got it to work right. Yeah, I uh, watched. I watched a few of the videos of you guys actually working on that, and it was. Uh, it was pretty fascinating because I mean, the sixty four is certainly my, my my system of choice, and yeah, you know, what I grew up with, and it's what I spend a lot of my time with these days as well. So, uh, having fixed more than my fair share of them, like it's, yeah, it's definitely she's an interesting one. I don't understand it to that level like the engineering level is is something that sort of escapes me for the most part but mm -hmm. yeah it's certainly a the c and like certainly yeah, the c style setup because i've got a um one of gideon's um the ultimate 64s so the fpga yeah. drop-ins and like beautiful piece of hardware but yeah they're not designed for the c case in any capacity so it's sort of having to yeah, you know, work around with the keyboard mounts and some other stuff that you just don't have a lot of room because of those short boards that sat in them were just not designed for. So, uh, but ah, it's, it's interesting. So, I suppose on that front, I mean, you. So, when did you actually pick up like the the engineering side of things? Because this is obviously not your first. You know, between that and like the Aquarius composite mod, like this is not your first. You know, board design or stuff like that. Uh, yeah, for me, I got back into so I. When I was after I went to high school, um, I decided I probably probably be a good idea if I went to college. Um, and I, I was into I was I'd always been into electronics. I had a soldering iron in my hand since I was ten. Mm -hmm. um, bringing back the Star Wars thing into one of the first things I tried to do was put LED lights into the engine section of the Millennium Falcon, even though they were cheap red LEDs and the Falcon, of course, has blue and those wouldn't come out until the late nineties. Uh, but I've been I've been a Radio Shack kid for a long time. Um, but uh, and Tony, we talked a little bit about this. I got distracted by theater, as one does for a while. I came out to California to go to California Institute of the Arts, which is where I met my wife uh, for theater and acting. And uh, and I enjoyed that for a while and realized there is absolutely no money in this. So let's fall back and uh, go back to programming, which actually does make some money. So my day job is as a, uh, a development manager for the Ventura County Fire Department, and we develop apps uh, for the firefighters. We develop for iOS and the iPad, but we also do legacy systems, web-based systems, and those sorts of things. So I've, I've been interested in it a while, and um, I've always been a designer by trade. I was never allowed to actually take computer classes in school. I always got my second or third choices, which were uh, theater and drafting. And those two, those two sets of classes uh, that I took, theater and drafting, actually wound up suiting me better in the long term because then I approached things with a designer's eye and being able to to manage space. So I picked up. You also probably got that a um, little bit more uh, in looking to the creative um, visualization side of things from the uh, the drama in a way too. So. Absolutely, and you know that's that's. 
Right. And that's, I, I love, you know, I love scenic design and I love uh, solving problems for theater, mainly because it's, there's, as you know, not a lot of money, usually, unless it's got a big studio or a big theater associated with, which all, almost never happens. So in, uh, it was probably about 2017 when I, when I started to get back into uh, particularly arcade games, uh, cabinets, um, I'd worked for uh, what's called Showbiz Pizza at the time, which is a precursor to Chuck E. Cheese, uh, but it doesn't exist anymore. They, they closed down many, many years ago. So I was a game technician there uh, in the mid to late 80s and, and learned everything that I knew about uh, arcade boards and engineering and uh, hacking ROMs and, you know, trying to make the, uh, the Dragon's Lair LaserDisc player not crap out. <laughs> um, but I didn't really get back into it until 2017 after the kids had, had pretty much grown up and gone off to college. So I picked up, started flipping video games, uh, finding old distressed yeah. uh, games that, that needed some love and uh, using some of the, the woodworking skills that I developed in theater to, to resurface them, uh, put new artwork on them. And it's it, it fun. Um, but then I started to, to, to get back into the retro stuff, particularly the C64 when I reached out to Perifractic and said, Hey, you know, I'd like to maybe work on a project with you. And he, he mentioned that. Um, but then, I, then the, the pangs of guilt for throwing away the Aquarius back in, you know, whenever it was <laughs> 86 hit me. I'm like, I should probably pick up one of those because now that I know how computer systems really work, because it, it was just beyond the scope of my comprehension back at the time, beyond just understanding how basic and maybe even a little bit of machine code worked. I had no idea how, you know, system buses worked or any of that. Um, but after working on the C64, um, completely rebuilding a C64 board from scratch, um, taking a look at old uh, Ray Carlson boards that had been uh, hacked and, and fixed and stuff like that, kind of getting a real sense of that. I'm like, I, th I think I can do this. Um, so one of the biggest problems, as we said, uh, with the Aquarius um, other than the character ROM and other than the crappy keyboard is that there's no, there's no composite video out. You, you go through that RF modulator or you don't get video. So I'm like, well, composite isn't really that difficult. I know there's got to be pure composite somewhere on this board because an RF modulator is just interpreting that into the frequency that, you know, whatever channel it's coming through. Yeah, yeah. there has to be a source there somewhere, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so with, you know, with just a little bit of research, I actually figured out uh, the... The Aquarius has a custom video chip, and I can't remember who the manufacturer is, but it's a TEA 1002, and it's a little bit like the Vic chip, although not, you know, it doesn't have the hardware sprites in it. But it it kind of does dual purpose; it does both video and sound, um, and actually has RGB signals. So it, it may be at some point possible to develop uh, an RGB adapter for it. But <laughs> cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, so I found a I found a a simple. Uh, one-sided positive phase uh, five volt video amp that I could use um, to increase the signal. I tried plugging a standard, you know, yellow RCA jack into, uh, soldered it to the lead on the TEA that has uh, the composite video out. And it was too fuzzy. It was it just wasn't enough signal on it. So I said, well, if I amp this up, I think I can get it. And and I and it worked on the first try. I got the the video amp uh, the proper uh caps all soldered in place with the you know the six or so uh resistors and it just worked right out of the bat so i've set about trying to figure out a way to get it to fit in the same space 
that the RF modulator would work. And so it would sit in that same hole centered. And uh, it took me about a month's worth of work, but I, I, I got it to work. So, yeah, let me say it's a, it's a very neat board. You've done an outstanding job putting that together. So, yeah, no, definitely. And it's um, the main complaints we've got right now is, you know, there's a lot of people who just don't have that set of skills. So I'm trying to trying to get a version two of the board together that will use service amount parts, uh, slightly smaller capacitors. It'll it'll save the cost a little bit. Uh, but the best part about that is, is if I can do that, then I have mm -hmm. some room on the board where I could make a dual, uh, maybe an RGB and composite app. So it'll be an all in one board. I won't be able to use the uh, the you know the eighth inch jack. I'll have to use something like what the Sega system does, one of those mini DIN tens, yep, uh, to break it out. And then I'll probably have to go through a SCART connector because the Aquarius doesn't doesn't work at VGA resolution. So yeah, no, we'd have to go through. That's a pretty common one you sort of see with a lot of the the mod boards these days that break out to RGB. Now use that mini DIN connector uh, versus yeah. like trying to force you out through like a Neo Geo SCART connector or you know the Mega Drive DIN out. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, but it's fascinating because like I mean, like you said about the the skill set piece. Like I mean, I. I would put myself certainly in the, the amateur realm as far as just I know enough to be dangerous but not enough to really build this stuff myself. But you know, I like I found the board itself was – and anyone that maybe has seen some of my, uh, my posts on Facebook, if you're listening or on Twitter and, you know, have seen, you know, the journey to build this thing, like it's – it is actually a very well-designed board and I reckon it's – of all the ones I've built so far or I've come across, like you've done – it's probably the, the easiest and the best suited for – the system it's designed for so yeah no no hot glue needed no no double-sided tape it just sort of just that sits in it's perfectly spaced so like no you've you've done well oh, thanks it's it's a, it was a fun design um i'd like to you know i'd like to take it a little bit further um I, I don't know if you saw one of the things that i did about probably about a month ago was try and take all of the wonky power circuitry because the about about a quarter of the Aquarius's motherboard is taken up with these massive electrolytic capacitors it's got a oh, yeah. 10,000 UF cap on it and a you know a thousand one they're just you don't need those anymore um, but I was able to take a, a, a mean well uh, power supply which has five volts positive 12 and negative 12 remove most of those components and then just run the mean well, and the power is clean as a whistle. I got no noise even with uh, the RF out on it. So there's some there's some possibilities to maybe make this board uh, more compact. You know, there's two, four, six, eight, ten, maybe twelve chips on this. Um, most of which mm -hmm. you know have service mount versions of it because most of them are just you know 7400 class logic chips. Um, two or three custom chips, the TEA, and then the two PLA chips, you could put that, you know, in a size less than a, you know, the deck of playing cards pretty well. And then you would have room for a slightly more standard uh, power supply inside of it, but you would probably have to change the case out. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the thing for me that the weird, it's because it's one of those systems that just for whatever reason, they decide they had to have the integrated power supply that's always attached that, I think the only mod I know I've looked at would be certainly to just break that out so I can turn it into a you know, standard DIN plug or something similar to make it a little bit easier to, to pack up and set up and not have that thing hanging off all the time. 
Right. And, and I've actually had people who've asked me uh, if, if I would do, because I, I do a couple of things. I recap most of the time. I put the Aquarius mod in and then I replace that ridiculous mm -hmm. transistor, the 7805, with a switching power supply. And I've had some people say, you know, hey, you know, I want you to, to do this. And I'm like, well, in the States, we have a standard packaging where you can do a flat rate package with the U.S. Postal Service. But even then, it's still a little too big for the Aquarius and that power supply. So in a couple system, yeah. in a couple instances, I've said just you know, cut the power supply off and send it to me as a separate thing. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll send you one with a, with a, a DIN plug that you can twist on. Yep. Uh, yeah, mine, mine almost became that because when I got mine, the power cord was cut off. So <laughs> I have just rejoined it to get it going at the time. Um, yeah, it's it's terrible because it, again, there's the the weird power frequencies that are coming or the, the weird voltages that are coming off of the brick are only slightly related to the voltages that are on board. Like I said, on board, it's it's pretty standard, you know, five uh, plus 12. And there's really only one circuit that uses the the negative 12, and that's the uh, the cassette uh, output because it uses the audio signal. It digitizes it as it comes in. So it needs the full sweep of uh, basically AC style um, positive. It needs, swing, it needs to swing back and forth on 12 volts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was able to avoid that on the, on the, uh, video on the composite video, but yeah, on the, on the cassette out, you just can't. Um, but they've got, I think it's like nine, nine volts and then 19.5 positive and then like 11 negative. I, I have no idea why they went through all these machinations unless it's something that. It's obviously the power supply they could get in the decent cheap quantities. I I guess so. Yeah, it's whatever Radifin had on the shelves. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I was really amazed that the composite video uh, worked as it sits with PAL. I, I was I was afraid that I would have to put something else on there, but yeah, yeah no, just... it was interesting because yeah, like you said, it just slots straight in and it was worked off the bat without anything extra. Mm -hmm. uh, which is funny because yeah, like yeah, you know, there are times where we've had in the past some of the systems actually have different physically different graphics chips so i know like uh, the uh tony back me up here not the ms the msx or the yeah the, and that's how they did multi-region there are different versions of the ti chip that's right um coleco is the same so that actually one of the reasons why a coleco with a um atari adapter in australia is great because you can play atari games from any region and they will actually appear on the tv uh, colors might be slightly different, but it actually you get a stable signal. It, That's cool. The um, you know the chip uh, handles the video out part, and the rest of it is exactly the same. Yeah. So it's 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 a different chip, the same way the Vic Two has different versions. Pretty much. So it's with the TMS nine nine one nine and the two nine or two eight. Yeah, and they yeah. stopped doing that for the MSX two onwards. But yeah, it's actually interesting you mentioned like the the ColecoVision situation, like with the Atari with the twenty six hundred adapter. Because yeah, you're right. Like that is one of the only ways to play NTSC games here on a on a PAL ColecoVision is with that adapter, uh, which is a nice yeah. Which again is a nice little handy thing. Although you didn't tend to see a lot of NTSC stuff rock up on our shores as it was. Hell, the ZX Speccy didn't even make it to our shores in official like official quantities. Yeah, back in the like, day, like grey grey importers um, importing it and doing their markup, and they were, you know, and you found them at, at particular stores. So that's how we got a lot of the um, 
UK computers, whereas the, any of the US ones that came through sort of came through more official channels. So I suppose with the modifying, like the Aquarius, Sean, like as you mentioned, like obviously your mod is one one such thing that exists allows people to sort of bring it up to a, you know, a little bit more of a modern standard. So I know that there are two other solutions out there as far as the software side of things go, like the expansion. So like the mm-hmm. the Aquari cart, which is a basically like a almost 1541 ultimate or that sort of multi-cart flash cart thing that has every released version of every or every piece of software i think released on cartridge on it as well as a few rom hacks and stuff like that um and there's also the mini the micro expander i believe it's called yeah that um bruce Bruce abbott in new zealand released the basically built and released which I, from what I understand, adds the ability to have like USB. You can plug a USB stick into it. It has extra RAM on board for programming side of things. But what? I mean, have you played with either of those? Yeah. So, uh, so Jay Snellen uh, is um, he. From what I understand, he he's uh, he is on the Aquarius forum in some way. In uh, he's definitely on Atari Age for sure. Um, and he goes by Jaybird three, but he developed the Aquaricart, um, and he also developed the thirty two K expansion. You can buy both of them for about, I guess, seventy eighty bucks as a pair on eBay. So that was one of the first purchases that I made uh, because it made it very easy for me to to test very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how how successful the the composite adapter worked. And he and I have written back. Uh, quite a bit uh, about you know some of the stuff he wants to do, and he definitely wants to make some sort of a, a modifiable character mod where you can do just as I said, uh, map via the back end of the chip, uh, and then the front end still sees it as a character ROM. It's just getting different bytes or different bits as it comes through. Okay. Uh, but his yeah his cartridge is great. Uh, I I enjoy working with it. Uh, it's it has most of the stuff that I would need, but it doesn't necessarily have a lot of the cartridge based or sorry, the, uh, the tape based tapes. Uh, those you pretty much have to go through the virtual Aquarius or the Aquari- the Aquari emu, uh, virtual version of the software to get. Okay. Um, the micro expander is neat because it adds, uh, similar to the way the mini expander, which was an actual, uh, Mattel product, it adds a, a sound chip on it, and that's how uh, the Aquarius would get two additional voices when you would plug in the mini expander. Uh, but what what Bruce did was he added the ability to, um, like you said, add in a thumb drive t- to pull in uh, ROM files or audio files, so you could you could play those. My main problem with the the mini expanders, it's really, or sorry, the micro expander is it's really difficult to find build instructions for it. Um, there's a couple versions out there. I know Bruce isn't, at least in the states, he isn't selling the uh, the PCBs. You have to get them on eBay, and they're really difficult to find now. Uh, what I had hoped to do was try and build it myself, and then put together a better set of instructions on it. But they just haven't had the time to do that. Yeah, yeah. I looked at. I was looking at the other day. Actually, I think I when I posted about asking about that, who's actually had a crack at it and what what's the best way to go about it. That yeah, it's I don't know. Like compared, I mean, your you know, obviously your yours and a few of the other kits like this I've seen where it's like, here's the bomb, here's the layout, here's you know, the stuff you need to do to build it. I found it was 
not as straightforward, but again, that's as a as an amateur. But if you sort of look at the same thing and sort of went, this is not very user friendly. Um, so yeah, it, it went off so in the bad. weeds. <laughs> yeah, it went off in the weeds pretty quickly for me. And then it, as a result, I was trying to find a a PAL version of the Aquarius, and uh, Ray Templeton uh, found one for me, and I and I bought it from him. And along with that came. A, uh, a micro cartridge or a micro micro expander, so I really didn't need to uh, to go much further uh, in the in the one off build. But I'll I'll probably yeah. take a look at it here in a couple of months and maybe make it a little bit easier, folks. Yeah. The um, does the micro expander have the joystick adapter ports on there as well? Well, so what they've got is they've got a a standard Dupont header. It's a keyed header that has uh, two by six or two by eight pins, mm-hmm. and then you need to you need to make your own uh, ribbon cable that'll that'll go to the standard you know, nine pin Atari joystick style port on that. So it it has it, but it doesn't have a an actual port that you can plug in the mini expander or the the joy pads into mm-hmm. so yeah because i think the joystick the joysticks themselves are i'm trying to remember because actually i don't think i've ever seen them i i know one of our our other colleagues who host occasionally with us um damien has a boxing he had a boxed ntsc aquarius we found a while back that had the joysticks but i don't think i've ever actually used mm-hmm. them yeah. Um, they're yeah they're as challenging as the intellivision is ha. sorry go ahead I was going to say the picture on the outside of the box is the first time I've actually seen the joysticks myself. So. Yeah, and they're, it's it's funny because they're actually a little bit better made than the the ones that came with the Intellivision 2. The Intellivision 2 ones have problems where the, the plastic just, you know, it's just obliterated by now the little overlays. Yeah. Um, but on the on the Aquarius, they're, they're not bad. I mean, it's... I, I'm, I, I've always hated the disc-based things, and I think when I had my uh, Aquarius, sorry, no, when I had my Intellivision for a while, I actually took them apart, and there was a disc replacement that had a, an actual joystick mounted up through the part, so it kind of looked like a hi-hat. But uh, some people love them. I, I'm not one of those people. So, Sean, look, I suppose wrapping up, I mean, look, for those that want to want to have a crack, like having you know, looking at the Aquarius, because, again, they, they sort of are starting to fall into that category of a system that, being as uncommon as they were uh, and short sold that they're well uncommon despite not being maybe desirable but are still expensive to pick up for the most part because of that like what's if someone was going to go grab one of the emulators you mentioned and i'll throw those in the show notes for anyone that's listening along um but like what games or yeah what's what's a couple of games you'd maybe point people towards as saying actually this is a pretty good example of what the system can do to, first of all, to address the hardware issue, the the virtual Aquarius is actually a perfectly great way to dip your toe in the water, and most of the most of the installs you can find out there, the zip files that have all of it bundled together, will have all of the software that you could want to play. So that's a good way to kind of start and say, hey, you know, is this even worth jumping into? If you find you like it, um, then I would say of the cartridges that are out there, I would you know I'd look at uh, the Dungeons and Dragons one. It's it's kind of a, a hinky first-person shooter, and it's obviously frustrating as hell because there's no way to save it. But they put a lot of work into it, and there's a lot of there's a lot of depth to it. Um, it's it's not quite as good as the Intellivision version of it was, which I think is now called Minotaur, uh, but it's along those same lines. Uh, Utopia, I think, stands up stands up to the test of time pretty well um, as well. 
And if you want just a, a basic shooter, I, I, again, I, I do enjoy Astro Smash. It's kind of a, you know, hybrid between an Earth-based asteroids and uh, missile command slash space invaders, where you're a, a shooter on the ground. And you've got to keep stuff from falling on your uh, on your planet and losing points and otherwise. Um, so those are those are the ones that are that are high on my list. There's a lot of fun little third-party cartridges that are out there. I don't mention Burger Time because Burger Time on the Aquarius is, is pretty miserable just because the, the joystick timings are really, really bad. And the Pickle Man looks like the devil. He really does. He's got this strange cone head and he looks nothing like a pickle. So uh, that's that's the only reason why I don't. I, I joke about Burger Time a lot because that's typically what I'll use when I'm testing because uh, it's got good colors. It's got three channel sound and you can tell when your Aquarius is working. But I think those are a good set. Yeah, okay. I've only got the one title myself, which is Night Stalker. And that's good too. You know, it's a, it, that's a fun, um, it, it, it reminds me of some of the better uh, Atari games that are out there where there's just enough difference and there's just enough AI in the in the characters and the alien characters to, to kind of find their way to you. And it's hard to mm-hmm. find that when, when only you've got is, you know, four or 8K of RAM to work with. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I know I think I tried to smash sounds interesting as well because I've been using that as a simple game example to use for my series. Let's make a retro game. From cool. Making, basically, a version of Astro Smash across multiple systems at once. Yeah, and what's what's awesome about that is again how they were able to use the character based set to uh, to achieve the same thing that you know you're able to use the Bloxels on the Intellivision version. So it's a good version of how you how you adapt according to the hardware that you're on. Yeah, no, I know, no, no, AD&D, when I was, I was playing it earlier on, the it does actually remind me a lot of Rogue in yeah. the sense of, like, it's rogue, Rogue-like in the sense, yeah, you, you can't save, um, but just how they design it, like, you know, how it plays is actually, honestly, yeah, is, is actually pretty good. i got to say, it was of the ones I've tried so far, like, only finding the emulators not too long ago but um like it's it's a good version uh yeah the unique definitely i would have enjoyed back in the day definitely need the overlay though that's for sure the the overlays make life a lot easier i mean if obviously we any of the the places we mentioned so if you're on facebook and you're interested in checking out like what the aquarius community does we've got there's the face mattel mattel aquarius facebook group which is fairly active. Um, I know Sean's you're in there. You're in there a fair bit with your your hardware, as well as there's a few guys that are putting it, constantly putting up new programs or games they've been writing for it. Um, right. Are there any? Is there anywhere else people can find like find stuff if they're keen? So no, yeah, sure. The the Atari Age forums. Um, it's uh, that's that's where Bruce Abbott had done a lot of his uh, collaboration again with with Jay Snellen and some of the other guys. It's not, it's not as happening necessarily. There's a lot of stale information there, but uh, that's that's where I found the most information to get started. Uh, yeah. The Atari Age forums, and they've lumped in television and Aquarius together. So we're again kind of like a stepchild in that regard. But yeah, it's, it's not too bad. I, I know I did notice that actually when I uh, I found Bruce's thread on the the Micro Expander, and it was like, I guess they they really don't think too highly of it if they've just sort of gone. You're all the same thing. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> I know that Jay would like to, uh, I mean, I've put up a website on, you know, on my, uh, my domain just so I'd have a place to kind of collect my thoughts and, and where I want to go with the, the hardware. 
but uh, uh, Jay Snellen's also probably going to put some of the stuff that'll have hopefully a, much of Bruce's older notes because I'm not sure how attached Bruce is anymore to the community. So he seems like he may have moved on a bit. Yeah, which I mean, which happens to the best of us, right? So, so I suppose on that, don't Sean, like if people want to find you, uh, you know, want to get want to follow your your projects or sort of just check out check out the stuff that you've done, like where whereabouts mm-hmm. can they find you? Uh, Twitter, I use uh, the number one S T A G E, so it looks like first age, uh, and that's generally my handle across most environments. Um, I also have Aquarius dot one stage dot com, uh, which is the site that I have this Aquarius stuff on, and uh, Sean dot p dot Harrington uh, at Facebook is uh, is where I'm at. If you want to friend me or follow me. Oh, most excellent. So, well, Sean, thanks for coming on. Look again, and thanks, thanks for the uh, certainly seeing that the boards across for us to have a play with. There were it was a lot of fun, and certainly it's got me a lot more interested in the Aquarius than I was initially. Where I remember picking it up and just sort of going, "I have an Aquarius. It works. <laughs> I don't know why I have an Aquarius or what I'm going to do with it." But yeah, that's I think in a lot of cases my I think it was you're saying. Um, before we started, like you know, a lot of my interest in hardware stems more from just repairing them and getting an affinity for the system through that. So, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's, it's been good, been a bit of an eye opener and something I've enjoyed enjoyed playing with. So, look, thank you very much, and yeah, thanks my for your pleasure. Time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been very um very good talking to you, and it's just like you know, it is great. The reason why I collect all of these old retro systems is having those occasions where you have a semi-excuse to get a system out and just start playing with it and, you know, bring back that feeling of what it would have been like experiencing the computer for the first time back in the day, um, but obviously, you know, cheating a little bit and modernising the experience a little bit. <laughs> right, yeah, I wish I knew what, I, know, I wish I knew back then what I know now, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Tell me so, about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, we wouldn't have... Uh, if, had we been in better financial circumstances back then, when we bought our new computers, we wouldn't have given away slash sold our old ones as well. So, yeah, the that culture. is true. Yeah, all the culture. I mean, that culture though of hanging on to the old stuff wasn't wasn't there in the you know the seventies and eighties. Like we just you did you used it, and then your parents gave it away at a you know garage sale, you know church group, yeah. fair charity, whatever it was. Like you just you didn't think about retaining some of these things but um yeah whereas these days it's like no no none, none of this is yeah you're gonna fight me to the death and cold dead <laughs> yeah anyway i know but, um, yeah that's what he that's what he was for oh tell me about it look i i'm certainly not above not above picking up stuff to clean up to move on to help fund other purchases especially because <laughs> as i'm sure you know yourself like arcade machines and things like that are not cheap no, uh, and being in Australia, the, the the exchange rate is in the toilet. So yeah, it's very expensive to get any of this hardware at the moment. Uh, to you know things I want to look at, it's just it's prohibitively expensive. So like the being able to build some of this stuff is is actually nice because it makes it. And did you, did you have problems getting the uh, the parts? That, did you get it through uh, a local distributor? Uh, no, I had to. We had so we had to go to Mouser. Um, I to yeah. get all the bits for the board. So because the the 3.5 header you use on there, um, it's unique to what looks to be them. I couldn't find any local ones that sort of match the exact mounting holes. Mm. Uh, 
so yeah, and that and like the I mean the resistor because your, your resistor values were interesting to say the least. I think Damien <laughs> when Damien looked at the bomb, he sort of went, they're all really oddly specific and surely like there's you know yeah what the hell what the hell is 11.8k you know why would you need an 11.8k resistor and it's funny because i took it i took it straight from the uh from the ad812 uh spec uh, on the thing there was again there was a there was a sample circuit and i'm like well that works um but there's a lot of opportunity for playing with it i would like to get a couple of um, variable resistors in there and 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 see if i can tune it up to more standard sizes you know yeah um yeah i know what you mean and then you've got a little bit of adjustment for different um, screens then i suppose right yeah some people have said that you know on the composite it's a little dark i'm like well it's that's kind of the way composite works particularly with ntsc but mm. um yeah we'll see we can always make more hey that's it right so uh yeah excellent no for those listening if you're after after a board and you've got an aquarius uh there'll be a link in the show notes as well for where you can actually find sean's board on ebay yeah and we just dropped it down to us five bucks a piece so um uh, sorry for all the early adopters. It wasn't my intent to fleece you guys, but uh, I figure, hey, you know, it's it's working. We might as well put it out there. The boards really aren't that ma- that expensive to manufacture, so uh, I'll keep it down to the uh, to the five five a piece. And there's a little bit of a discount if you want to get more than one as well, too. So excellent, awesome, short. Well, look, thank you again for your time, and uh, yeah, look mm-hmm. forward to talking to you again soon. My pleasure.